हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन चैप्टर वन सोशल स्ट्रक्चर स्टैटिफिकेशन एंड सोशल प्रोसेसेस इन सोसाइटी एंड वी आर कंटिन्यूइंग आवर टॉपिक सोशल स्ट्रक्चर एंड स्टैटिफिकेशन टू रिकॉल द कॉन्सेप्ट ऑफ सोशल स्ट्रैटिफिकेशन इन चैप्टर टू ऑफ इंट्रोड्यूसिंग सोशोलॉजी social stratification refers to the existence of structured inequalities between groups in society in terms of their access to material or symbolic rewards while all societies involve some forms of social stratification modern societies are often marked by wide differences in wealth and power while the most evident forms of stratification to modern societies involve class divisions others like race and caste region and community tribe and gender also continue to matter as basis of social stratification we will recall that the social structure implies a certain patterning of social behavior social stratification as a part of the broader social structure is likewise characterized by a certain pattern of inequality inequality is not something which is randomly distributed between individuals in society it is systematically linked to membership in different kinds of social groups members of a given group will have features in common and if they are in a superior position they will usually see it that their privileged position is passed on to their children the concept of stratification then refers to the idea that society is divided into a patterned structure of unequal groups and usually implies that this structure tends to persist across generations it is necessary to distinguish between different advantages which can be distributed unequally there are three basic forms of advantage which privileged groups may enjoy the first one is life chances all those material advantages which improve the quality of life of the recipient this may include not only economic advantages of wealth and income but also benefits such as health job security and recreation the second one is social status prestige or high standing in the eyes of other members of the society and the third one is political influence the ability of one group in to dominate others or to have preponderant influence over decision making or to benefit advantageously from decisions the above discussion on three social processes will repeatedly draw attention 
to the manner that the different pieces of social stratification like gender or class constrain social processes. The opportunities and resources available to individuals and groups to engage in competition, cooperation or conflict are shaped by social structure and social stratification. At the same time, humans do act to modify the structure and system of stratification that exists. Now let us move to the next point, two ways of understanding social processes in sociology. In the earlier book, Introducing Sociology, you have seen the limitations of common sense knowledge. The problem is not that common sense knowledge is necessarily false, but that it is unexamined and taken for granted. By contrast, the sociological perspective questions everything and accepts nothing as a given. It would therefore not rest content with an explanation which suggests that the humans compete or cooperate or conflict as the case may be because it is human nature to do so. The assumption behind such explanations is that there is something in strength and universal in human nature that accounts for these processes. However, as we have seen earlier, sociology is not satisfied with either psychological or naturalistic explanations. Sociology seeks to explain these processes of cooperation, competition and conflict in terms of the actual social structure of society. In introducing sociology, we discussed how there are differences and plural understandings of society. We saw how functionalist and conflict perspectives varied in their understanding of different institutions, be it the family, the economy or social stratification and social control. Not surprisingly, therefore, these two perspectives seek to understand these processes a bit differently. But both Karl Marx usually associated with a conflict perspective and Amal Durkheim usually identified with the functionalist perspective, presume that the human beings have to cooperate to meet their basic needs and to produce and reproduce themselves and their world. The conflict perspective emphasizes how these forms of cooperation changed from one historical society to another. For instance, it would be recognized that in simple societies where no surplus was produced, there was cooperation between individuals and groups who were not divided on class or caste or race lines. But in societies where surplus is produced, 
whether federal or capitalist, the dominant class appropriates the surplus and cooperation would necessarily involve potential conflict and competition. The conflict view thus emphasizes that groups and individuals are placed differently and unequally within the system of production relations. Thus, the factory owners and the factory workers do cooperate in their everyday work, but a certain conflict of interest would define their relationships. The understanding that informs the conflict perspective is that in societies divided by caste or class or patriarchy, some groups are disadvantaged and the discriminated against. Furthermore, the dominant groups sustain this unequal order by a series of cultural norms and often caution or even violence. As you will see in the next paragraphs, it is not that the functionalist perspective fails to appreciate the role of such norms or sanctions but it understands their function in terms of the society as a whole and not in terms of the dominant sections who control society. The functionalist perspective is mainly concerned with the system requirements of society, certain functional imperatives, functional requisites and prerequisites. These refers to the fulfillment of the broadest conditions which are necessary for a system's existence and which therefore keep it alive and prevent its destruction, such as the socialization of new members, the shared system of communication and methods of assigning individuals to roles. You are well aware how the functionalist perspective rests upon the assumption that the different parts or organs of society have a function or role to play for broader maintenance and functioning of the whole society. Seen from this perspective, cooperation, competition and conflict can be seen as universal features of all societies, explained as the result of the inevitable interaction among humans living in society and pursuing their ends. Since the focus is on system sustenance, competition and conflict is looked at with the understanding that in most cases they tend to get resolved without too much distress and that they may even help society in various ways. Sociological studies have also shown how norms and patterns of socialization often ensure that a particular social order persists, even though it is skewed in the interest of one section. In other words, the relationship between the cooperation, competition and conflict 
is often complex and not easily separatable. In order to understand how cooperation may entail conflict and the difference between enforced and voluntary co cooperation, let us look at the very contentious issue of women's right to property in their natal family. A study was conducted among different sections of society to understand the attitudes towards taking natal property. A significant member of women evoked the theme of a daughter's love and love for a daughter. When speaking about their rights to property, but they emphasized apprehension rather than affection by saying they would not claim full or any share of natal property because they were afraid this would sore relations with their brothers or cause their brother's wife to hate them. And that as, as a result, they would no longer be welcome in their natal homes. This attitude represents one of the dominant metaphors mediating women's refusal of property. A woman demanding her share is the greedy shield or hawk lane wall. There was also a close connection between these feelings and the apparently observes once of the desire to continue to be part of the natal family by actively contributing to its prosperity or being available to deal with its crisis. Now, this uh, some activity will enable you to appreciate how apparently cooperative behavior can also be seen as a product of deep conflict in society. But when these conflicts are not expressed openly or challenged, the impression remains that there is no conflict, but only cooperation. A functionalist view often uses the term accommodation to explain situations such as the one described above, where women would prefer not to claim property rights in their natal home. It would be seen as an effort to compromise and coexist despite conflict. Now let us wind up the session and thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.